You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Good, good, good. Uh, We are really, really excited this morning to begin a brand new series that we have titled All Systems Go. And and this is going to take us... Is that the title? All Systems Go. That's why she did that little bumper. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that nice? See, you're here. He's here. I didn't know we were titling this thing. We were just doing it. (laughs) All Systems Go. And and what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is looking at uh, a variety of doctrines that we... Uh, pull from what we call systematic theology. But before we do that this morning, we are going to begin with kind of a foundation of what led us down this path to begin with. Uh, uh, Hebrews 13.9 came to me this week as I was thinking through this and preparing this, that we are not to be carried away by any strange teaching or doctrine. Uh, This is a command of Scripture for God's people. Don't be carried away by any strange teaching or doctrine. And, and we've always maintained here that if you're going to um, follow this commandment, if you're going to be mindful of not being carried away by something strange, you need to understand what makes it strange <laughs> so that you can recognize it and resist it to some extent, right? And so this morning what we're doing is we are uh, going to do something a little different than we normally do. Normally James and I just open the Bible, go verse by verse through whatever it is that we're teaching through. Today, we are going to be actually looking more closely at two very prevailing worldviews in the world today. And, um, you know, our, our full, full disclosure, we're not normally that interested in what the world is doing and what the world is, is believing, if you will. Uh, but these two worldviews have become particularly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, unnerving, importante. importante for those of you who speak Spanish, um, because they have begun to invade the thought and inner workings of the church, and not just City on a Hill, but the church at large. And so we want to spend some time this morning. It's going to be a little bit of a longer service um, for us, at least. As you know, we only did two songs. Normally we do four. And uh, we, we even cut into that time because we want to have as much time as we need to really dive into this and unpack this. Um, So I'm going to just say up front to you that uh, we're going to be giving you a lot of information this morning. Hopefully you'll take notes. This is going to be online on Facebook and YouTube, so you'll be able to go back and and watch this again because there's going to be information that you're going to hear, and it's probably going to go in one ear and out the other because it's just a lot of information. And I would really encourage you to go back and watch this again, compare your notes, take more notes, write this stuff down because it's so important. I cannot overemphasize this enough. It is so important. I, I told someone this morning... Uh, that this is easily the most important message that James and I together have preached. He may, you may have preached more important messages than this, but I know together, you and I, this is it. This is the top one. Which it's, is interesting because we're not exegeting Scripture today, we're exegeting our culture. Yeah. And then we're going to follow this up with 12 weeks of exegeting Scripture so that you can put the two next to each other and see why they are in conflict. That's right. That's right. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to just jump right in. We're, James is going to start us off here with a prevailing worldview that um, if you are in my generation, a millennial or younger, and I'm at kind of the top end of the millennial generation, I'm 35. Um, so if you are around 35, 36 or younger, These you are... These chairs don't adjust, do they? They don't, they don't adjust. They're, no, we're here. This is it. And 
I know. Um, How long just, have we been doing this? And I just you just now figure that out. Yeah, a, a while. The, it's the ones upstairs in the studio that adjust. They, they go up and down, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we may need know. to do something about that. I'm That's... feeling a little short today. I don't know why. Take us off on postmodernism. Let's, let's get this train robbery started. We do have fun. We do. We take what we do very seriously. We just try not to take ourselves quite so seriously. That's exactly right. And I think right. that's a good approach to that's life. exactly right. Take the gospel very seriously. Just don't take ourselves very seriously. I'm going to give you a foundational text for this morning. And, and again, let me say why we are doing this. When I first approached this to Derek several weeks ago, I did it personally with reluctance. And he was reluctant initially because we go, oh, man, we really want to dig into that stuff and deal, it, deal with it. And as we talked about it and discussed it, we came to the understanding of why we have to do this. Because we are, there's a great deal of confusion that's going on within the church today and our culture. We are, as it were, caught between two worlds, and the millennial generation particularly is because of the educational system in which they've been brought up, and then their faith, and they are struggling with how to negotiate between those two. It's a very real struggle, and I, I don't envy them that struggle. Uh, I don't blame them for that struggle because it is what they have been given. It is what they have been handed by our culture, but also in some ways by the church in in not being adequate in equipping. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to exegete that cultural system and help you understand why some of the things that are going on, we'll call it the political world, but it is not just politics, but it is, is every aspect of our secular culture and why that is antithetical to the faith. And why it is so dangerous when we begin to bring in those cultural ideas and try to syncretize them with our faith. Now, the foundational text for this morning and next week, next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some very biblical issues, say the family. We're going to talk about sexuality and and why this conflict is going on. And then the next 12 weeks is when we'll actually begin doing the actual systematic study of theology through the Old and New Testament. The foundational text is 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, where the prophet Elijah stood before the people of God at a time when they were caught between two worlds. They were being caught between the world view around them and struggling with the worldview that there is one true and living God. And so the prophet did what prophets do. He stood before them and basically said, thus says the Lord. And this is the question he asked them. And it's a question that we must answer. How long will you vacillate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. He is calling God's people to make a choice. Now, Baal was a pagan god that the nations around them worshipped. And there was this constant pressure upon the people of God to adopt that polytheistic viewpoint to syncretize some of those things into their faith. And and the prophet is standing and saying, no, 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 that's not it. You're vacillating between two opinions. You must draw a line in the sand and you must decide who you will follow. If God is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him, but quit vacillating between two opinions opinions. So what we're going to do this morning, first, my part is I'm going to unpack for you postmodernism. How many of you have even heard the word term postmodern? Oh no, most of you have not, okay? 
So that's why we're doing this, because you need to understand the underpinnings of many of the things that we're going to be talking about and that you're going to face in our culture so you understand the foundation from which it arises. From the t- Let me go back, though, and let's do a biblical overview real quick. From the time of Abraham, through the prophets, to Jesus and the apostles, it has been the Judeo-Christian worldview that has set us apart. And I say Judeo-Christian because the Christian faith is based upon the Judaic faith. It's based on the Hebraic faith. That's what God called Abraham. And so from the beginning of time, the Judeo-Christian worldview, upon which America was founded, by the way. America's not a Christian nation, never has been, but it was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. And that's important to understand. So from the beginning of, of Abraham through Jesus, the apostles, our biblical worldview has always set us apart from the culture where God's people are. And this is our biblical worldview, that our God is the creator of all things. He is the author of all truth. He redeems all those who place their faith and trust in him. Now that is a biblical worldview. And so when we come to Christ, we are called, as we adopt Christ as Lord and Savior, then we are called to adopt that worldview. In fact, you cannot know Christ and adopt another worldview. Adopting Christ as Lord and Savior is adopting the biblical worldview. There is one God, creator of all things. He is the author of all truth, and he redeems those who come to him by faith. Now, when God called Abraham, who was the father of the Hebrew nation, he also called Abraham to change his worldview. Because Abraham had a polytheistic worldview. In other words, he worshipped many gods, as was the, the view of the world at that time. And so he was an idol worshiper. He worshipped many gods. But God said, if you will abandon that worldview and you will place your trust in me and me alone, then I will lead you to a land that I will that I will give you and your descendants and I will bless them and all of the nations will be blessed out of your descendants. And Abraham said, I will do so. He abandoned a polytheistic worldview, took upon a monotheistic worldview that this was the one true and living God and that is what God demanded of him in order to become a follower. So all of his descendants then from then on were taught this biblical worldview. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. Mm. That is a monotheistic, Judeo-Christian, biblical worldview that Abraham adopted and taught to all of his descendants. So all throughout history, Old Testament as well as New Testament, what happened was that the cultures around them challenged that worldview. That worldview from the time of Abraham on was constantly under attack by the worldview of the nations surrounding them who still worshipped many gods, who still had a worldview of polytheism. And so they were always pressuring the Hebrew people to abandon the, the, the worldview that there is one God and He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and adopt in their other gods. And God repeatedly told them, as you know, through the Old Old Testament, that they were to reject that worldview, that they are not to allow those, that, that polytheistic 
uh, thinking to come in, that they were not to isolate themselves, but they were to insulate themselves. That's the being in the world, but not of the world. So we're never called to isolate from the world, but we are called to insulate ourselves from the world as it seeks to creep into and distort our faith. And when they failed, and there were many times when they did, and they began to participate in the worship of these other gods, they made shipwreck of their faith. Did they not? Yep. Every single time. And God always disciplined His people. <clears throat> the interesting thing about it, folks, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment, they never abandoned Yahweh. They never denied that God exists. They just added other gods to Him. And that's called syncretism. And it is the challenge that Judeo-Christians have, that we have had since the beginning of time, is to syncretize, to take elements of the worldview of cultures around us and bring them into our faith. Not to reject our faith consciously, but just to add things to it, to syncretize it in. And so they, were con they never rejected the worship of the true God. They just adopted in some of the other gods of the nations around them. And when they did so, they... They faced the disciplining hand of God, quite frankly, because he said, you are to insulate yourself from that. This is your worldview. I am the Lord. Follow me. Now, in Jesus' time, the Greco-Roman worldview, which they dominated the world of Jesus' time, was still polytheistic. They had their pantheon of gods. The Greeks had their gods. The Romans had their gods. And they had a temple to each one of their gods. But in Rome, interestingly enough, and I've been there and I've seen this, it's quite interesting, they had one temple called the Pantheon that was to all of the gods, okay? And so they had their temples to their individual gods, but then they had this one that you could go and no matter what your god was, you could worship because this was a temple that was built to honor all of the Pantheon of gods. And the Pantheon still stands, as a matter of fact, in Rome. It's interesting, it's a church now. <laughs> it's actually a Catholic church. Uh, the Pantheon, but it was originally built to honor all of the gods of the polytheistic worldview of the Greco-Roman world into which Jesus was born and the church <laughs> was born. But you see, God's call didn't change for his people in Christ any more than it did for Abraham. The, God, the call is still the same, that when you come to Christ, you must abandon the worldview of the cultures around you. You must abandon the polytheistic worldview. There is one God, and Jesus is the only way to the, to the Lord. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But all of time, when the Christian church was born, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, in Acts chapter 2, all of the time, the Greco-Roman worldview was seeking to find its way into the faith to incorporate these different ideas into the faith. And sometimes they did. Some of the early Christians, quite frankly, didn't say we reject Christ. No, they, they, they always held on to Christ. They thought they could. But they said, but we're just going to add in some of these other ideas of the world around us. They, that's called syncretism, okay, where you don't abandon your faith in the sense that consciously do so. You're actually doing it but you don't consciously do so. They didn't say, no, we don't believe in Jesus anymore. They said, no, we believe in Jesus, but we also need these other ideas. And we need these other things, and that's called syncretism. Now, syncretism by definition is an amalgamation of different religions or schools of thought into one. That's what it means to syncretize. You take a basic religious viewpoint or 
school of thought, and you don't abandon that, you don't reject that, you just add other ideas to it. And so the temptation for the, in the early church was oftentimes they would not say we reject Christ as Savior, but we say, no, we still hold on to Him, but we are also going to take in these ideas. This morning I was thinking about it. It's the difference between eating that which is placed before you or saying, no, I want a few other vegetables to add to it. Are you getting that analogy? Or is that just going on in my twisted and distorted head? So God has set the table is what I'm saying. God has set the menu. He set the table. We are to eat that which he has placed before us. But our temptation is to say, oh, we're not going to reject that. Yeah, we want all that, but I also want some of this. Do we have any, do we have any Louisiana natives in here? Anyone in here? In who? Louisiana natives. So if you're familiar with Louisiana voodoo, um, this is a great example, of, great example of what James is talking about. This is a, a Louisiana Creole religion that has syncretized Roman Catholicism into it. So you have a lot of the same saints. You have a lot of the same. It looks similar. You have the cross. You have the cross, but there are some major deviations from Roman Catholicism because there's a, a Louisiana Creole religion that there's has the mixed with it. spirits. And yeah. so in, in, in that <clears throat> environment, you would find uh, 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 someone sacrificing a chicken's blood on the altar and the cross of Jesus is over the altar. Yeah. Now those are two worldviews. Those are totally opposite, but that's syncretism. That's, they haven't rejected the cross. They haven't no. rejected Christ. They've just brought in the worship of the spirits and, and all those other kinds of things. And that's always condemned by God. In fact, it's condemned, quite frankly, very, uh, um, what's the word? Sternly. Sternly <laughs> in the old covenant. Yeah. Okay? Death was yes. the penalty, yes. as a matter of fact. Okay, so we have all these examples. You can go into South America. You can go into Africa, and you will find places in Africa where the gospel is very strong, and the Christian faith is very strong and very solid, and then you can just go, uh, you know, miles away, and you will find them singing songs to Christ and then worshiping the ancestors mm -hmm. and, and praying to the ancestors, and that's syncretism, and it is, it is anathema to God. So... Cultures have always done that. They've always come to us since the beginning of time, since the beginning with Abraham, and have wanted to invade the purity of our faith. And that happened very quickly, even after the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. In fact, most of the New Testament letters that we have are written to, uh, to oppose the, that syncretism, to oppose the churches who were beginning to adopt into their 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 belief system, things of the world. And so Paul would write about that and he'd call those people that were doing that false prophets and, and you're teaching false doctrine and uh, put them out of the church. I mean, it was very severe yes. to protect the faith, <clears throat> not to isolate from the world, but to insulate from the world. Okay, so are you with me so far? So what, what we're saying today and what God has said in his word from the beginning with Abraham is that there can be no mixing of light and darkness. There can be no mixture of the world and of Christ Jesus. Now, there are accommodations we can make to our culture with no problem. In other words, the way we worship. We can worship in a modern style of music because that is the <coughs> style of our culture. If it makes it, but that's not theology. That has nothing to do with our faith. It has nothing to do. That's just an accommodation to a culture to make build a bridge with the gospel. But when we begin to accommodate world views of our culture, we've crossed the line, okay? Then we have become syncretistic. That's right. So, many of them in the New Covenant as well made shipwreck 
of their faith through syncretism. Then, for the last 2,000 years, the Christian faith has continued to face challenges from culture. If you study the last 2,000 years of Christian history, you'll see many times when culture has, been, has effectively invaded the church, and it always ended in devastation. So the challenge for us, folks, is no different than it was for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Paul, Matthew, Mark. It's no different. The challenge is still the same. How are we going to be in the world, because we are sent to take the gospel to the world, but not become of the world? How are we to be like a fish who lives in a salt environment, but the salt never invades the fish? That's a picture of the Christian church, of the individual Christian. How do we live in this world, but not allow ourselves to be affected, not allow it to come in to us? Now, worldviews have changed throughout many different centuries, many different cultures. We don't have time. We could do a historical view of that, but we really don't have time to do it. We don't even need to do But what I'm saying is that God's people are always called to reject the cultural worldview to hold on to, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is no other. And God has provided for us in His Word and in the living Word, Jesus Christ, all the truth that we need to have. The truth of the matter is, folks, when other worldviews are allowed... You're getting a little worried about your part. No, I'm thinking about... Yeah, no, we're good. No, okay, we're going. That's why we only cut to... We don't cut worship uh, time lightly. We believe in worship, but we knew we were going to have to have more time I think, today. I think it's been over a, a decade. Okay. I think it's been over a decade since we've cut worship. Uh, yeah, we don't do that we don't do that often at all. Because we do not believe that worship is just setting the stage for teaching. No. We believe worship stands on its own and it's very, very important. But when other worldviews are syncretized, hear this, into our faith, it is no longer the faith. Are you with me there? God has set the table. He set the parameters. He set the menu. And we begin to pick and choose bits and pieces from the worldview of our culture around us. We have, in essence, abandoned the faith. This is very serious. Today in America, we are facing a shift in a worldview. In my lifetime, the worldview of our culture has shifted. I've lived long enough to see that. And those of you that are my age, and if you're educated in this kind of thing, you will be able to understand, you will be able to recognize it as well. This shift is giving an incredible challenge to God's people, to the Christian church in America and to individual Christians. And once again, we as Christ followers are being pressured to adopt elements of that worldview into our faith. We are being tempted to syncretize, not to reject Christ, but to syncretize into our faith some elements of this worldview. And if we do, and it's already happening, it's long past time for us to call this out. If we do, we will make shipwreck our faith. And this shift in worldview simply is a shift from what is called, I didn't make this up, Modernity to postmodernism. This is something I studied all the way back in college in the early days of this shift through seminary. It's very real. It's recorded historically. You can read the stuff as we've done. If you want to have to take a, sh you'll have to take a shower afterwards because I, I feel it just inoculated in this stuff for 
for the last few weeks. And I thought I had a pretty good grip on postmodernism, and I realized I had just skipped the surface of it until the last few weeks of the tens of hours of studying and exegeting and reading. This shift in worldview is from modernity to postmodernism. America was founded in a period of time when the worldview was called modernism or modernity. I'll define that in a moment. And there are reasons for that. We don't need to do all that stuff. We just need to understand that America was founded in a time when the worldview was a modern worldview. It was the worldview of modernity. The shift that is taking place and has been for the last 50 years is a shift to a cultural worldview of post-modernity. In other words, after modernity, post-modernism. Now, before I define them, let me say, neither of these are Christian worldviews. Neither. Modernity is not a Christian worldview. Post-modernity is not a Christian worldview. But one of them is Christian-friendly. One of them is faith-friendly, and the other one is faith-hostile. You have to understand that. Why is that? I'll give it to you in one simple statement, and then we'll elucidate a little bit more. Modernity accepts the existence of objective truth. Of truth that is true objectively. It is true whether I believe it or not. It is true whether I accept it or not. There is such a thing as objective truth and reality. Now, so modernity is faith-friendly, isn't it? Because our entire base, our entire faith is based upon what? Objective truth. That there is objective truth and that truth is grounded and founded in the character and the nature of the one true God who is creator of heaven and earth and has delivered his truth to us in his written word and in the living word, which is Jesus Christ. So modernism, modernity, is faith friendly. It is not a Christian worldview. But it is faith-friendly because of that. Postmodernism rejects the concept of objective truth, of all objective truth. Postmodernism is a truth-relative worldview. That all truth is relative. We use the word relativism to speak about it. Therefore, if postmodernism, the worldview of our culture now, that dominates our culture now, is at its roots rejecting the concept of objective truth and reality, then it has to be hostile to our faith. For our faith is founded upon the objective truth. Okay, you see this? Are you, are you kind of getting this? Okay, you have to understand that. The worldview that dominates our culture now is hostile to our faith. It is hostile to all faith cultures, all faith religions. For it rejects the concept of objective truth upon which our faith is based. Now, I, mean, I got ahead of myself here. So, so, so much of what have hap- is happening in our nation, and as we exegete this, and Derek's going to do this in just a moment about one of, of critical theory, is that you have to understand that what is happening in our nation as this shift is taken, has taken place, it's not taking place, it has already happened, It is rooted not in modernity. That has been rejected as a worldview of our culture. It is rooted in postmodernism. Our culture, America, the good old United States of A, is immersed in a postmodern worldview. It dominates education. 
It dominates uh, politics. It dominates everything that is happening in secular culture today. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about those for a moment, but let me go real quickly, and then I'm going to flip this over to Derek as fast as I can. Um, <laughs> three pillars of postmodernism. What makes this a worldview? Okay, first of all, is a rejection of objective truth. I already said that, right? Okay. So what postmodernism says is that everything that we view as truth or reality are simply social constructs. They are subjective. They're not objective that they were founded in God. They are social constructs that society has constructed these and called them truth. So in other words, murder is wrong only because we've decided because as a Because we have decided as right. a culture that murder is wrong. That's one good illustration, okay? So there's no objective morality that has been established by an objective and truthful God. It is only, they're all, all truth is a social construct because society has decided it is so and has constructed and deemed it to be so. Postmodernists call this radical skepticism. That's their term, not mine. It is the radical skepticism against the concept of objective truth. Therefore, in postmodernism, it's view, if for change to happen, these social constructs must be deconstructed and a new construct constructed. That's the process we're going in through right now culturally, where society is being deconstructed so that a new construction can be made, a new society can be constructed. So, rejection of objective truth. The second is that these truths, these social constructs, if you will, are constructed by language. We construct them by our language, by the way we talk, by the, what they call meta-narratives. We create truth, we create reality by language. How we speak about something is how we create these truths. These ways of speaking, postmodernists call meta-narratives. A meta-narrative is a narrative that has been socially constructed in order to create a particular type of society, a particular truth, a social construct. Now, if a social construct by postmodernists is deemed bad, then what has to happen? We have to change language in order to deconstruct that bad construct and in order to construct one that is deemed good. Thus, a lot of the emphasis on how we speak in our culture today, in everything, going through and, you know, changing pronouns, this is based on postmodernism. That's right. It is deconstructing a social construct that is deemed to be bad and reconstructing one in the image of postmodernism. Now, the third aspect of postmodernism is power. Postmodernists believe that though there, we, we construct socially construct truth by our language, and who does that? Those who are in power are the ones that create these meta-narratives. So those who are in the majority are the ones who create social constructs, okay? And they promote these meta-narratives, and they do so to promote their power, to promote, to keep the status quo. They are in power because they have been in the majority, they have created a narrative that has created a social construct, and that is always in their interest to keep them in power. Are you with me? So, what they're saying is that we organize society by our language according to power. Those who are in power are the ones who dominate and organize society with meta-narratives that keep them in power. They've done so 
as I said, by legitimizing, he says, the ways of speaking that create this structure. As an example, language creates hierarchies, okay? Now, through speaking in binaries, you know what a binary means? Twos, okay? That's an important word you need to understand if you're going to be able to understand all this stuff. A binary is a duality. Let me give you an example of binaries. Postmodernism rejects binaries, hates binaries, because binaries set up a social construct of power, of oppression, and, and oppressed. For instance, it is not acceptable in postmodern mindset, and you'll be able to see this in our culture, to speak male and female. No, no, that's a binary. That's bad. Because binaries do two things. Binaries create a structure where there is no third option. So if we only speak in binaries, male and female, that leaves room for nothing else. That's evil. That's bad. <laughs> the second thing it does, it, when we create those binaries, like male, female, one is always placed above the other. And so the white male in our culture loves to speak in binaries because it keeps him in power and it allows him to oppress female. That's why the worst thing you can be in our culture is a white male heterosexual. You are the, the semblance of evil. That sounds like, a, like an overstatement. But, but it gonna, is true. I'm going to show you a chart in a moment. that uh... If you are a white male heterosexual, you are the epitome of evil in our culture today. That is the narrative that is being created in order to, as they say, deconstruct the binary narrative that has been created by white male, heterosexuals, and we continue to promote that language and that, why? Because we want to keep power. I mean, that's easy for you to say. You're it a is, white male. Because I'm a white male heterosexual. <laughs> but this not only applies in that area, it applies in every area, and we're going to be able to see that other binaries are rejected, not just this one. Other, all binaries are rejected because it excludes homosexual, heterosexual. That's a binary, is it not? That's bad. It's got to be destroyed because it leaves no room for anything else. And since hetero is in the majority, hetero controls the narrative in order to oppress homosexuality so that heterosexuality can remain in power. Therefore, we must deconstruct the language that has created a social construct, this binary narrative that does not allow room for anyone else or anything else. Are you beginning to see the connections here? Now, so postmodernism, no objective truth. Truth is relative. Truth is constructed by language. Meta-narratives put one group above the other. Derek, I've got to do this part. Okay? Okay. And we're going to do, like we said, if we don't finish, we'll just pick it up next week. I don't, I don't think there's a chance we finish. Okay. All right. Well, okay. I've got about a solid 50 minutes worth of material. I, I know you do. Yeah. And, and, and that's... It we need to do a con this needed to be a conference, yeah. but we, we, we needed okay. to do it for our church. Okay, very quickly. The shift toward postmodernism started in the 50s, really took legs in the late 60s. It was started by French academics uh, in France. It quickly made its way to America. It quickly found its way into academia in America, the upper levels of ed education. It stayed there for several decades. Basically, it was academics who were navel-gazing, talking about these things, these theorizing these things. But it found legs in the 80s and early 90s when, listen, when the social justice movement adopted postmodernism as their foundation. That's a very, very important statement. 
It took, it got legs, it got street creds when the modern day social justice movement took postmodernism as their basic worldview. And I say the modern social justice movement because social justice movements have, are centuries old. This is just another one that is happening now in our culture. And it's the modern social justice movement that characterizes itself as wokeism. Some of you uh, know what that means, some of you don't, you just heard it. Wokeism is the idea of that we have awakened to the real nature of social injustice, that we have come to be woke about the real nature of social injustice and how it needs to be and how social justice needs to be achieved. It's sometimes called the modern sojust movement. But here's what they do. They believe that they are the only ones who seek a just society. Everyone else is seeking something else. And that something else is based upon the power structures of that social construct which is constructed for themselves. So the political progressives of today, this is where politics comes in, have completely aligned themselves with postmodernism. You need the left, progressive, whatever you want to call it, the left political movement, the progressive, has completely adopted postmodernism as its worldview. Here's a statement. The progressive left has aligned itself not with modernity, but with postmodernism, which rejects objective truth as a fantasy dreamed up by naive and arrogantly bigoted Enlightenment thinkers who underestimated the collateral consequences of modernity's progress. In other words, what that is basically saying is that the progressive left has rejected the, the enlightenment thinking of modernity, of objective truth, and, and, and all of the consequences that have come out of modernity have completely rejected that and have aligned themselves with postmodern thinking. Now, understand this, and we may just stop with this. I was going to say, I, I almost don't want to do my part. because No, we're not even going to yeah, get into his part. I think we'll just do it next week. Okay. That way it gives you time. Uh, yeah, and then, then you can have the whole thing, and yep. we'll go a third week with this before we get into... That's fine. Hey, folks. You know, it is what it is. We're trying to unpack libraries of information for you in an hour. And it can't be done. Yeah. All we can do is, is give you the distilled version to help you understand it. Now, if you really want to understand it, you're going to have to do some work on your own. I can't do your work for you. I've been doing this for 50 years, this work, and in the last month or so have immersed myself once again in it, and I hate having to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has to be done. Understand that political conservatism is not Christian. We've got to get that. Some of you political conservatives, you need to hear that. And I'm telling you, I'm a political conservative, okay, from, the, from a lot of reasons. Political conservatism is not God's world view. But it is faith-friendly. Because why? It is based upon modernity. That's right. It is based upon the acceptance of objective truth. Political progressivism is not a Christian worldview either. And there are some that are adopting it because they believe that it is. It is not. It is not a Christian worldview. It is Christian hostile at its root, at its foundation, because it is postmodern, and postmodernism rejects the very foundation upon which faith is built, which is objective truth. This cannot be gotten around. This is not me saying this for them. This is them saying it themselves. 
Objective truth, dear people of God, is the enemy of postmodernism. Therefore, it must be snuffed out. For postmodernism to really accomplish its goals and everything that is built upon it, the gospel must be silenced. The church must be silenced or be so amalgamated in that our message no longer has any guts. Because we syncretize it so much with a postmodern worldview. So our faith and postmodernism and everything that grows out of it are diametrically opposed, just like monotheism and polytheism are diametrically opposed. There is no in-between. And God told his people that. Why are you vacillating between two opinions? If Lord the Lord is Lord, serve him. If Baal is Lord, then serve him. But there ain't no middle ground. You're either monotheistic or you're polytheistic. To have the true God and one God makes you a polytheist. You're no longer a monotheist. To hold to objective truth, yet take concepts from a worldview that rejects objective truth is an abandonment of objective truth. Any other approach is foolishness. Wow, I'm getting fired up. It's good. Now, let me say this. God does not have a political worldview. He has a people. He has always had a people. God has no political worldview. View. He has no, he has not endorsed a political viewpoint. And on the right and the left, that truth has been violated and is being violated right now in the church in America. Here's how conservatives are violating it. Because political conservatism, as I've said, is based upon modernity and therefore is friendly to our faith, we take the approach, well, it must be God's viewpoint. <laughs> no, it is not. Political conservatism is not God's viewpoint. It's a secular viewpoint of politics. God has not endorsed political conservatism. God has not put his stamp of approval on the Republican Party. That is foolishness, and it is, it's horrible to hear that kind of stuff. On the other side, progressives, which we call the left, they use that terminology for themselves, there's the left and the right, right being conservative, left being progressive, used to, liberal. Liberal used to be a good term. Yeah. Uh, it has, the meaning of that has changed in modern days, but we don't have time to go back and do that. But progressives that are Christians profess Christ, whether they are or whether they're not, I can't look in their heart, but political progressives who profess, profess to be Christians adopt the progressive political movement because it is so much about social justice. Now get this, stay with me. And that's a good thing, social justice. Is it not? See, we're so scared to even answer now, we don't know if it's good or not. I'm Is so it? confused. I don't even know if it's social justice is good or not. It is. Social justice is 
good. And so Christians who believe or feel and have been so indoctrinated in a postmodern education system believes that the gospel is not achieving social justice. So therefore, because social justice is a good and moral thing, we must adopt the progressive worldview to get social justice done. That is a rejection of the gospel. It's a lot of other things that I'll talk about here in just a minute. So conservatives, because conservatism is based on modernity and is faith-friendly, say, well, it must be God's viewpoint. No, it's not. Progressives, because all of the critical theory of our day is about social justice. Well, that's a good thing. And it's not being achieved in the last 2,000 years through the gospel of Jesus Christ so somebody else can do it better. And so I'm going to not reject Christ. No, not at all. But I'm going to get on board with the progressives here because they're about social justice and God believes in social justice. And He does. But His method is not wokeism. Well, and let me say, too, what we're going to find out next week is the way God defines social justice and the way uh, postmodernism defines it are very different. There's so much here. Very different. So much here that God's people have got to understand. For we are in danger of the salt of the sea yeah. invading the skin of the fish. And it's got to stop. Now, see, both of those viewpoints are wrong. The Republicans who are Christ followers and say, Donald Trump is God's man because he's a Republican, are stupid. That is stupid. Can I say it again? That is stupid. Donald Trump was not anointed by God. The Republican Party is not anointed by God. But Donald Trump and the Republican Party have a worldview of modernism which is friendly to faith. And that's as far as we can go. Postmodernism is certainly not God's viewpoint, for it is antithetical to faith. It works against our faith. It works to silence us. It works to either silence us through persecution or silence us through amalgamation to where our message has no impact. If you water down the gospel, the gospel has no impact. It only has impact as it stands alone. We are exactly where Abraham was. We are exactly where the Hebrew people were in the wilderness wanderings, surrounded by polytheistic nations. We are exactly where the first century church was in the Greco-Roman world. We are exactly where they were. And we better understand it. For every time that God's people have syncretized the worldview of the world, it has made shipwreck their faith. And there are entire churches in this city now who have adopted postmodernism. They reject the authority of Scripture. They reject the objectivity of truth. And they have adopted a postmodern mindset and have aligned themselves with progressivism and have said this is God's way and it is not. There are whole seminaries, Union Seminary, 
that are a, built upon teaching postmodernism. Union Seminary put out a statement uh, recently on Twitter about Scripture that said that we believe that Scripture is not inerrant, that it is fallible, and that only through the lenses of critical theory can we understand God's true message. Now, see, that is postmodernism at its root because it, object, it rejects objective truth. Scripture couldn't be inerrant because that would make it objective truth. Yep. And there is no such thing. So, therefore, we can approach Scripture as a good guy. Yeah, yeah. It teaches a, us good, but, good but, goys but, and but girls. It's, but it's a Western book, okay, and, it, and it's patriarchal, okay, and so we have to deconstruct these evil, oppressive structures. We have to look through all the evil right. to get to the good that's in there. See how insane that is? Who then becomes the arbiter of truth in that? Right. I do. Yeah. No, wait, I do. Well, each one individually. Exactly. Because truth is relative. That's exactly. right. And so we hear in our culture, now, well, that's your truth. Right. If it's your truth and my truth, it ain't nothing true. You just, and that's exactly what they want you to believe. You just live your truth. I, yeah, I'm living yeah. out my truth. Yeah, you just live your truth. You live out your truth. Yeah, amen. There is no truth. It's a social construct. You with me? She's saying, Pastor James is getting fired up. <laughs> so, now, let me get to that statement again. And then I'm going to get personal for a moment. God does not have a political worldview. Did you hear me say that? Okay. He has a people whom he has called out of the world and sent back into the world to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we are American citizens, are we not? And we are Christians. So we are citizens of two places. Our real citizenship is in heaven, but... We have rights of, Christ, of American citizens, just as Paul was a citizen of heaven, but he also was a Roman citizen. That brought with it rights. So we have the right, as an American citizen, of voting. Understand, when you vote, you are voting for a worldview in our modern time. You are not voting for political view. That time has passed us. You are voting for a worldview. You. Christians, you must understand that. See, either, either one of those extremes of progressives saying that this is God's view or conservatives saying this is God's view, let me tell you what it is. It is a rejection. Now, when it's Christians that are saying this, is what I'm saying, not the world. When Christians say, no, progressivism is God's view, when Christians are saying, no, conservatism is God's view, let me tell you what that is. That is a rejection of the sovereignty of God it is a rejection of the wisdom of God. It is a rejection of the plan of God, as if God in His eternal wisdom and sovereignty did not understand the need for social justice and did not incorporate into the faith the way and the means by which it would be defined and be achieved, as if God never thought about social justice. And only the postmodernists, as they are personified in progressivism. And so we just need to kind of fill in God's plan a little bit here because God missed this one. Or, no, God didn't miss it, but 
But God's plan just isn't getting it done. The gospel's not moving fast enough for me. Now let me speak personally. This is not what we planned. You, you get the week off. You're already prepared for I'm next ready. Sunday. Yeah. Most of my adult life, I have been in the ministry. I came to Christ when I was 19 years old, or 18. When I was 19, I was on a church staff. Saved right off of the streets. North Lake Baptist Church in North Dallas. I was their summer youth pastor. I barely knew John 3.16. I was a year and a half out of the 60s drug cultures, all I was. Had long hair, could play guitar. Back in the 60s and 70s, if you had long hair, could play guitar, you could be a youth pastor. And in my case, if you could drive the church bus and pick up the kids and bring them to church on Sunday. Because I was not only the youth pastor, I, rode the, I drove the happy bus that came around on Sunday morning and picked kids up. So I've been in the ministry since I was 19 years old. I'm 67. Do the math. I have stood upon the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. That is my integrity. I've been here 37 years. There are people that love me and there are people that hate me, but there are not anybody that has ever accused me of not having the integrity of the Word of God in teaching. Whether they liked what I said or not, they believed in my integrity when I approached the Word of God. So all of my history in ministry, I became a full-time senior pastor when I was 26 years old. I have been, I've paid very little attention to politics. Very little. My political involvement as a pastor until the last several years pretty much boiled down to voting. You know, every two and every four years, I'd go to the polls and I would vote because that was my American responsibility and I believed it was my, not only my right, I believed it was my responsibility to do so. And after I voted, I pretty well ignored it. Whoever won, it, it really didn't bother me. And here's why. Because both parties, all of those years, had the same worldview. The worldview of modernity. Which is the acceptance of objective truth and objective reality. They were not hostile to my faith. They were not hostile to the Christian church that I had devoted my life to serve as a pastor. There was no hostility toward us. So both parties, the Republican and the Democrat Party, had the same objective because they held the same world view. Their differences were simply, they weren't worldview differences. You see what I'm saying? They were economic theory, you know, which economic system is, is really the best, and is it trickle-down economics or oh, whatever it is, variations in foreign policy, taxation, those are the differences of the Republican and the Democrat Party. And that's why Ronald Reagan, when he was president, and Tip O'Neill, who was Speaker of the House, who was Democrat, could get together and over lunch, they could hash out compromises. And they could pass legislation across the aisle, bipartisan Right? You get it? Because Tip and Ronald Reagan had the same world view. They spoke the same language. They simply had some 
differences of economics and taxation and foreign policy, and they could compromise on those because it wasn't a compromise of their basic goal and end and their worldview. Those days are gone. We would all like for those days to come back, wouldn't we? How many times have you, and you've heard the pundits say, why can't they reach across the aisle? Why can't they legislate in bipartisan ways? Here's why they can't, folks, because they don't have the same worldview anymore. They are opposing world views. The conservative are the right the right, I do know my right from left, the right and the left are no longer working for the same objectives. The right is still based on a worldview of modernism. The left has adopted postmodernism and they are diametrically opposed worldviews. There is no common ground, as there is no common ground between light and dark. There is no common ground between monotheism and polytheism. You can't get together and negotiate the two. For they are diametrically opposed worldviews. I've got to remember that one. That wasn't in my notes. Yeah. Remind me of that next yeah. service. They aren't even speaking the same language, folks. One party is still speaking modernity. The other party is speaking postmodernism. And they are totally opposite. Now, my involvement then in the last several years, five or six years, hear this again, is not political. I have been accused of it. I have had church members that got their panties in a wad and left the church over it. I've been called names. I've been called a Kool-Aid drinker of Donald Trump and all kinds of crap. Because you will not hear me when I tell you this is not about politics for me. This is about opposing a worldview that if it gets its way, it will shut my mouth. In preaching the gospel, it will do so either by passing laws that prevent me from doing so, and there are those already in the books, folks, that are moving toward that, or it will seek to impose so much of its worldview upon me that when I speak, my message is cut loose of all of its power to make a difference. My involvement is not political. I've even voted Democrat in my lifetime. I know that'll shock some of you. <gasps> but at the time I did so, I believed because the man who was running for office was a good man. I just tore my clothes. Yeah, reaping and gnashing of teeth. I believed he was a good man, and he was a good man. He proved to be one of the worst presidents we've had in modern history because being a good man is not what makes a good president. I vote worldview. I vote ideology. Donald Trump is no longer in office and I'm still screaming at the top of my lungs. It has nothing to do with him. It has to do with a worldview that is seeking to dilute the gospel, to dilute the message of the church of Jesus Christ and quite frankly get us at odds with one another. 
And it's working. And it's working. Because I, the senior pastor of this church for 37 freaking years, that have proved my integrity over and over and over to the Word of God, have had some of you that I love and care for accuse me of being a part of a cult. A Donald Trump cult. Of drinking Donald Trump's Kool-Aid. And I'm pissed off about that. And no matter how many times I've said to you, God's people, this is not about politics, you will not listen. You have not listened. I care nothing about politics. I care about God's Word. I care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I care about the health and the integrity of the church that I have devoted my entire life to. When I could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars practicing law, and I do not regret it one day of my life. And I'm tired of apologizing to some of you. And I refuse to do so again. And I will say to you, if you do not have the intestinal fortitude to look beneath the surface of what you are buying into, you are sowing to the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. According to the prophet Hosea. I'm going to wrap this up. To adopt the world's approach because it sounds godly, is a denial of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To say because there are people out there, political progressives, that their number one goal is social justice, and social justice is a godly goal, it's a good goal, and it is. But to say that I must link my, my life to that because that is a good goal, without looking beneath the surface and what I'm buying into and what I'm saying about God's view of social justice and His method of achieving social justice, I have to reject God's way once I take the world's way. If I'm not satisfied with the gospel as God's means of social justice, I am abandoning the gospel. There is no middle ground. Zero. Any more than there is middle ground between monotheism and polytheism. You can't ride the fence. So the prophet comes and says, how long, dear people of God, will you vacillate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve Him. If Baal is God, then serve Him. But quit trying to ride the fence. You will make shipwreck your faith. I will go to my grave. I will go to my grave. Looking you in the face. And if you are a Christ follower. And you link your ship to this. I will call you a fool. For you are. And it will get washed out in eternity. For I will answer to God for that position, and so will you.
I'm comfortable in my biblical position on this. Are you? Can you justify it? If you can, then do so. And you will be accountable to God. As I will be. And I'm fine with that. Are you? Wow, brother. That was great. That was great. Let's pray. Let me say to you, I do not do this for your affirmation. I don't. Nor do I fear your opposition. My life is not built upon your affirmation. It's nice when it comes, but my life is not, has never been built upon that. Nor is my life going to be deterred by those who curse me, who accuse me in spite of the years that they've known me. I will not be deterred. And if you have to leave this place, I will say, God bless you. Go find that place where they will preach your progressive message. And you will answer to God. Hmm. Now let's pray. Father, I pray that every heart here and everyone that is listening can receive this in the heart, the brokenness in which it was delivered. I confess that my prophetic nature can be offensive to some. I pray they can look through that and look to the truth. Look ultimately to you as the author and finisher of our faith and the repository of all truth. There is no truth outside of you. Mm. And we must reject it no matter how it screams that it has a godly goal. It cannot achieve it. It never will. So we submit ourselves to your sovereignty, your wisdom, your justice, your righteousness, your holiness. And we refuse to reject those for a shortcut, for a faster way, for cultural recognition or affirmation. We refuse. We stand upon you and your truth as revealed to us in your written word and the living word, our Savior, Jesus Christ. May you call some of your people today to repentance on both sides of this issue, Mm. on the left and on the right. Call us to repentance, O Lord, that the gospel may not be divided That your people may not be fighting among themselves over shadows. That the enemy may not be able to achieve his aim to divide us or to water us down. Give us courage. If there comes a day when we as Stephen must die for our faith rather than to deny it, so be it. So be it. Give us courage. Give us courage, Lord Jesus, for it is in your name we pray.
Hey, let me say uh, let me say a couple things to you. One, come back next week because this is just the tip of the iceberg of this stuff, and we're going to be talking next week about critical theory, a driving worldview born out of postmodernism. We're going to talk about things like why it seems like the older and younger generations can't seem to communicate with one another. We're going to talk about the role that rioting has played in our society over the last year, things that that hopefully will get your attention and make you go, I want to I wanna understand more about this. And, and there is an explanation for it that's birthed out of this and how we as Christians are supposed to respond. Let me say one thing quick to you as well. I know it's been a long morning. Uh, on the screen ahead of me or above me, uh, we are asking you to, uh, again, send us through a QR code, elder nominations. So we have... Uh, uh, every year, we call you to recommend, based on the qualifications of Titus and First Timothy, uh, men that you believe are qualified for eldership. There's also paper forms that you may have been handed. If you want one, they're in the back there. Brian Duncan's holding one up. We have two that up. are rotating off each year and two that come on. So there will be two that will come on and two that will rotate off the, off the body. We meet as an elder body tomorrow night, and so we'd like to have some names to begin praying over and looking at. And so if you would please do that, uh, we would be so, so grateful for that. Uh, are you coming back next week? We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.